Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we're reviewing our fresh pear pie and seeing if this seasonal treat will be in heavy rotation in our winter kitchens. Then, we'll introduce one of our favorite categories, a desperation pie, featuring oatmeal and chocolate, and it's said to rival pecan for flavor and texture. We're also going to chat about the tools you need for that sweet pie success. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, I'm sure you remember back in episode 38, speaking with your friend, your etiquette expert on speed dial, Arden Kleiss. Oh, indeed. I love having Arden available to tell me about all things etiquette. Well, since then, I have been always on the lookout for that excellent overlap of food and etiquette, and I have found one that is perfect for pie month. It is the etiquette of eating a piece of pie. Oh, gosh. I didn't... (laughs) I didn't realize, but of course, etiquette has rules for everything. So why wouldn't they have a suggestion for how we should best eat pie? Okay, I'm ready. I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous. I know. (laughs) Turns out I've been doing it wrong all these years. Okay, this comes courtesy of Rachel Wagner Etiquette and Protocol. And Rachel says, if the dessert silverware, a fork and a spoon, or possibly just a fork, are placed above your dessert plate, bring both your utensils down to your plate. Place the fork to the left and the spoon to the right. Okay, so, so far, so good there. Okay. Use the fork only if the pie is served without ice cream. Use the fork and spoon if the pie is served a la mode, topped with ice cream. Okay. So, now, picture this. You are eating a piece of pie with ice cream on top. Mm -hmm. Place the fork in your left hand, tines down, to secure the pie on the plate. Okay. Then put your spoon in your right hand and eat both the pie and the ice cream. Now, if you're left-handed, reverse that process. You know, I already have (laughs) issues with this because I'm hearing it not as an eater, but as a baker, a server, and a cleaner. And I'm already saying, so you're telling me I'm going to have to clean twice as many utensils. Yeah, I'm never serving a la mode again. No, I've never given anyone a spoon for their a la mode. They just have to use the fork and they need to eat quickly so that that ice cream doesn't melt. (laughs) So here in England, we eat more of the continental style, which is keeping the fork in our left hand. So I'm a righty, but you would keep it Mm -hmm. in your left hand with those tines down. But I never considered Mm -hmm. pushing my ice cream into my pie that's on my fork with my other hand. Doesn't that sound, doesn't that sound a little complicated? It sounds complex, but, you know, maybe it's something that we need to train for. And then we'll get <laughs> really, really good at it. I'm up for some pie training. Yeah, I'm, I'm shocked she didn't mention one of my most common ways of eating pie, which is sort of like a slice of pizza. Sometimes I just lift it up and take a bite. 
I'm guessing that's not appropriate etiquette. I also want to know what Rachel thinks about balancing that in the fridge when I've got the door open with my (laughs) hip and where's my knife go? Where's my spoon? Where's my fork? Yeah, it's all kinds of problems. Uh, Clearly the etiquette folks could have a field day with us. Well, um, (laughs) let's just eat more pie. Yeah, just eat more. That's our our best advice. Always Mm -hmm. eat more Mm -hmm. pie. Eat more pie. Well, pie is just all over the news this month because the other thing that I saw recently, mm-hmm. I'm seeing a fight about the origins of key lime pie. Oh, one of my favorites. Yeah, Stella Parks, yeah. author of Brave Tart, mm-hmm. has come out publicly to say that key lime pie did not originate in Florida. <gasps> and this has the Floridians quite upset. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, isn't it the state dessert of Florida? I think so. Oh, wow. So where does she say it was made? She said it came out of the Borden Dairy in New York City back in 1931. Okay. In Key West, this has caused all sorts of pie pandemonium and no small amount of pushback, (laughs) said the article that I read. So I just started laughing when I read that. And it immediately made me think of you because you have that fabulous key lime pie that you made for us in the first season. Oh, thank you. It is one of my favorites. And I have eaten it many times down in the Keys. Uh, No matter where people think it originated, the graham cracker crust is kind of the the traditional bottom crust. But mine uses a shortbread crust, so almost like a cookie crust. And that is very different. So wherever you want to say, New York, Florida, wherever else you might be in the world, maybe we can all agree just, again, eat more pie. Yeah, and that's really, that's what they came down to at the end of this article as well. They said, you know, could you eat your pie and then eat eat the pie that you yeah. found from New York and eat that alongside mm-hmm. the slice of key lime pie from Florida? And she said, of course. I mean, it's pie. It should make people oh, happy. Who boy. That's all you should remember. So... <laughs> Even with a pie fight, we end in a good place because pie people are good people. That's what I have to say. But how do you eat your key lime with a fork on one side? <laughs> I mean, it's not all a mode, but that meringue. Like, do you put the fork and the spoon there? What's up? <laughs> yeah. Do you need to use a knife to cut through mm, the meringue? It's got right? the crispy top. I don't know. So many questions. <laughs> this raises more questions than it answers. But a good pie fight uh, had a happy ending, so I enjoyed that particular one. You know, when I saw that come up in our show sheets and all it said is pie fight, and I'm thinking to myself, is she going to go with like the pie in the face here? Where's this going to go? And so, (laughs) and you know, this came from one of my favorite TV shows, CBS Sunday Morning back in January. And that's also a podcast that I follow, the Sunday Morning Experience. My friend Naomi and her husband review that show. So they always have those good little slice of life shows. I really enjoy it. Oh, Slice, get it, stop. Oh. <laughs> Listen to me. It sounds like I planned that. I didn't. It just tripped off my oh, tongue. So nice. Well, this week we made a fresh pear pie with a lattice top crust. It is from the website The Spruce Eats. Little did we know, embarking upon this, that the pear pie, once upon a time, used to be more popular than the all-American apple pie. And we're here this week with our review to see if we think it should reclaim its throne Andrea, how did this pie go for you? This pie had quite an interesting journey in my kitchen, and it actually ends with a mystery. Oh, Oh my gosh. No, Nancy Drew, watch (laughs) out. I know, it's very exciting. 
I did use the pastry as it was outlined in the recipe. Yeah. I like it when a sweet pie pastry uses a little bit of granulated sugar. I always enjoy popping that in just for a tiny little bit of sweetness. I did cut back on my butter, as I mentioned in last week's episode. Yep. When I do an all-butter crust, I cut back two tablespoons, so I only use 14 tablespoons. I did think this pastry was lovely. It's just your regular all-butter crust pastry, and it worked out really well. Yes. I popped that into the fridge to chill, and then I did begin the odious task of slicing and peeling my pears. I've mentioned to you that when I make an apple pie, I often don't peel my apples. Yeah. But I was too afraid to do that with pears. I don't know why, but I just got kind of nervous about it. I think they have a little scratchier peel almost. Yeah. One thing I think, just in the interest of kitchen safety, we should mention here, my pears were flying across my cutting board. They were sliding onto <laughs> my counter. They were slippery little devils. And <laughs> Yeah. You got to hang on to them. Yeah. They're, they're dangerous. I did use a mixture of pears like I talked about last week. I ended up using the red Anjou. I used two of those. I used two Comis, and I used one Bartlett. Okay. How about you, Stefan? Did you mix your pears? I used Comis. Okay. That's what I could find here uh, readily available. But I did use a few more than were called for. It says five fresh pears. Mine were very small. I ended up using eight, and I'd say they were small to medium maybe. Okay. How many did you end up using? I bought eight. Yes. And then when I got home and I sort of was feeling them, some of them were not ripe at all, and some of them were very ripe. Mm -hmm. So in fact, I ended up kind of making my mixture of five based more on I wanted a mixture of ripe and not ripe. Yes. And so I did end up using five. One of my comices was very small, but my two red anges were quite large. Okay. You know, we talked last week about how popular pears are in Washington and Oregon, Pacific Northwest. I don't know what the London pear scene is like. I don't either. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think you're eating pears imported? From the Pacific Northwest, or are they growing pears there in England? No, no, no. There's several varieties that are grown in England. Comis, the king of pears, and pear called a conference, and that is the best-selling English pear. It has a little bit narrower shape, Andrea, almost oblong in shape. So if you see them in the in the market, it can look a little bit different than than maybe that more bulbous-shaped pear you might be used to. Well, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I The reason I was so curious is I will never forget that day. We took that trip to Borough Market, and you introduced me to the Bramley apple, which was yes. an apple I've never had before. So yes, I do always think it's fun when you're in a different location and you get a variety of a fruit that you've never had before. You know, it's just really exciting to see what's growing in different parts of the world. Oh, no, no, absolutely. That's That's very, very true. I do not think they're coming all the way from Washington, though. I'm sure they're growing in Europe. Okay, yeah, Yeah, that makes sense to me too, yeah. For the filling, I made that modification I requested last week and you pre-approved, and that was instead (laughs) of cinnamon, I used cardamom. I have some desiccated cardamom, and you know how you can buy cardamom in the, I would just say the regular, you know, spice aisle of the grocery store, and it's like a powdered cardamom. Sure, yeah. Yeah, that's what I've always had for cardamom, and I liked it, and it was fine. But this holiday season, I had gone to my specialty spice store, and when I asked about cardamom, the man said, do you want desiccated? And I'm not mm-hmm. super used to that word. I've heard you use that word related to coconut. and so Coconut, I, yes. Yeah, and so I think it just means dried. And I thought to myself, well, 
yeah, I mean, that's that's what I want. So I said, sure. And what he did was he pulled out this jar that was full of those little black cardamom pods. Right. And then he ran them through a spice grinder. And so what they look like to me are poppy seeds. Yeah, that's how I buy them. Okay. I had never bought them like that before. Mine have always been kind of a brownish to grayish powder. Okay. And so having these little black tiny, tiny seeds of flavor bursts. I mean, I just love these things. I'm addicted to them. I use them in my orange shortbread over the holidays. Yeah. As I mentioned last week, I think the flavor of cardamom with pear is just so amazing. So yeah, did substitute that for my filling. And I tried that filling before I started dotting it with the butter. And I have to tell you, the taste of those raw pears, the sugar, the little (laughs) bit of flour, the cardamom, the salt, that was to me almost one of the best desserts I've ever had. Just, it was just a flavor bomb. Yeah. And I felt exactly the same with my cinnamon. So if you didn't want to use the cardamom, but went with the cinnamon, I thought the filling on this was luscious. There was almost no other word for it. Yeah. I think that the pear is just such a silky fruit as opposed to an apple. I mean, it just is softer to begin with. And then when it has cooked down, Mm -hmm. I loved this filling. I thought the flavor was outstanding. So Andrea, did you sprinkle on the sugar and the spice mixture? We had talked last episode that kind of an unusual direction here to not combine your fruit and your your sugar spice mix, but to put the fruit in to the pastry crust and then sprinkle it over. Where did you end up going? Yeah, I just decided that was too unusual for me. And it, it, it might have turned out really well. Maybe you did that and it turned out really well. But for me, it just made me nervous. I feel like that flour that's in that mixture with the sugar and the spices is part of what absorbs the moisture that the fruit gives off. And so I want every slice of pear coated in a little bit of that to help with absorbing that moisture. So I did mix things up. Yeah. I also should add, because I think this gives us another point in our cooking in season resolution. Mm-hmm. You first toss your pears with the lemon zest and the lemon juice, and our Meyer lemons are out right now. And so I was able to use Meyer lemons, and oh my gosh, just those pears with that lemon zest and lemon juice. It sometimes reminds me, like, a good dessert does not have to be complicated, because when you have good, delicious, fresh, local fruit, you can just put a little bit of sugar and lemon on it and go to town. I agree exactly with what you are saying. I think this was just one of those pies that was the best of all the worlds. I really liked the pastry crust. I thought that was a nice, flavorful butter crust. Mm -hmm. And then that filling was just delicious. I think it married really well because you had the nice richness from the crust and then that nice, silky, deliciously sweet pear filling. Andrea, I did sprinkle my sugar cinnamon mixture. Okay, good. I did. Just to see, I've never done that. As we talked about last week, I've never seen that in a recipe. I have never not tossed my fruit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I had a lot of liquid in this pie. Oh. I took a tip from your husband, Mm -hmm. who very wisely once said, just pour the liquid out. And I did, no problem. Yeah, that's what the lattice is for. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The flavor was wonderful. The texture was wonderful. Mm -hmm. But I probably poured off a good third of a cup of juice. Now, could be because, just as you said, the fruit wasn't entirely coated in that thickener. 
could be the kind of pear I used. Maybe I need to investigate using a little less juicy pear. That does exist, and maybe that's the kind I should be baking with. But I think this is one of the best things we've ever made in three seasons. Okay, I am agreeing with you, so I'm so yes. glad we're on the same page. Now, I have to be honest, I also still had more liquid than I would have liked, and I, too, tilted my pie to the side and let a little of that liquid run out. Yes. Now, you know, when you're making this pie, it has the lattice dough, and I always do what I call a fat lattice because it's easier. Right. So I just do three strips across and three strips running the other way. And I had a little bit of dough left over. I did decide that I was going to give this pie away because I knew a group uh, was having a meeting at my church and they would be able to use it for their potluck. I made myself like a little mini pie in one of those mason jars with the scraps. And then I took a little bit of the filling and, you know, then I just put a few more scraps on top. Sure. I was able to taste the pie in the mason jar, and it was just outstanding. I had the same feeling as you did. I thought, I wish I had not decided to give this away because it's so incredible. (laughs) But here's where the mystery comes in. I delivered the pie, and it was on a night where I unfortunately had a raging sinus infection. So I was not being very communicative or clear. (laughs) And I handed it off to a man, and I, I think I mumbled something like, Here's a pie for everyone or, you know, whatever. I did not give clear instructions. So the group was Mm -hmm. not aware that that pie was for them. Okay. So they put it into the fridge Mm -hmm. and I got a text later saying, hey, what should we do with this pie? I was like, oh, my gosh, you should eat it. You know, it was for you. They said, no problem. You know, obviously we missed the window tonight, but we've got another meeting tomorrow night. We'll eat it tomorrow night. And I had put it in one of those, you know, Amazon.com shipping boxes. Those, by the way, are fabulous pie carriers, I just want to say. A little pie hack. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so it was just sitting in the fridge in the Amazon box. Mm -hmm. And guess what happened the next night when they went and opened the box? It was empty. It was empty. Gone. (gasps) At church? Someone stole a pie at your church? The case of the missing pie. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Literary fiction fans, if any of you have read the Jan Karen books, the Mitford series, you'll know that one of the key plot points is a missing orange marmalade cake that goes missing from the refrigerator. And it turns out to have been eaten by someone who is hiding in the church tower. So, of course, we were all laughing about the fact of maybe there's someone hiding in the church that we don't know about. And, you know, we ended up by saying, obviously, someone needed that pie. And I hope they're enjoying it. And I hope they agree with me that it was the best pie they ever had. (laughs) I think that whomever took it wound up very, very happy. (laughs) I think so, too. I had extra pie crust, enough for one whole bottom crust. So what you can always do with leftover crust, if you aren't going to use it right away, is just wrap it up really firmly. I usually do a cling film and then put it into a heavy-duty Ziploc bag. It can go right in the freezer and just take that out maybe like the night before you were going to reuse it uh, the next day. And I'll plan to look for an opportunity to do that coming up. Oh, yeah. And I always take those little scraps, too, and just sprinkle them with cinnamon and sugar and pop them in the oven at 425 for about 10 to 12 minutes. And that's a nice little pie scrap or pie tasties. I don't know what people call them, but that's kind of a good little treat. Ultra delicious. This one, heavy rotation, as far as I'm concerned. Loved it. 
Yeah, I'm super excited. I loved cooking with those fresh pears. I've now begun an intensive search for a raw pear dessert because I loved that raw filling so much. So listeners, if you guys have any suggestions, I'm all ears. Stefan, next week we are going to be reviewing a black bottom oatmeal pie, and I picked the recipe that was published in Epicurious. You'll also find this recipe on the Food 52 website. You'll find it on Smitten Kitchen, and that's because it comes from the 4 and 20 Blackbirds pie book. Mm-hmm. I think that came out in 2013 or 2014. It's two sisters, Emily and Melissa Elson. Yes. And I think they're a third-generation pie makers from South Dakota, and they opened this 4 and 20 Blackbirds pie shop in New York, and they are really well-known for their very delicious and very different fillings. Mm. Some of those I've heard about are grapefruit custard pie and a salted honey pie. So had you heard of the 4 and 20 Blackbirds pie book or these ladies? I hadn't, but I love the name of that. It's so cute, and it reminds me of what we were talking about when we kicked off this month about our animated pies. Yes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really beautiful book. I, For some reason, I don't have it in my collection. I think, you know, sometimes when everyone's talking about something, I sort of sit back and wait sure. and say, you know, I'm just going to wait and see. And I think I sort of missed the window on this particular one. So I've always wanted to bake from it. So I'm super excited to try this. Yes. You might recall, I believe it was last year in the final year of Pie Fest here in Olympia that an oatmeal pie won our contest. And I... Oh, yeah. I was really quite shocked because it was such a humble pie. Yes. Falls in our category of desperation pie. So why don't you remind us what that means? Yeah, I mean, in the United States, this was a pie that was made with things you had on hand. So they were very humble pies. And a good example of this would be our shoe fly pie that we did in last year's pie month, which was in episode 65. And that is also an oatmeal and a corn syrup base. Had kind of a lot in common here. Technically, I think a black bottom pie might be a little pumped up as far as desperation goes, because I'm not sure how many people casting about to make a pie just happen to have their heavy cream and 70% bittersweet chocolate. But, you know. (laughs) No. Yeah, you're definitely right. The black bottom takes it from desperation pie to maybe special occasion pie. Yes. But they use that term black bottom for whenever they put that chocolate filling on the bottom of the pie crust. So I'm super excited about that. And one of the main reasons a lot of people like an oatmeal pie is that it is very similar to a pecan pie, yeah. but it is nut-free. And so for people who have nut allergies, this is a nice way to have something that sort of looks like a pecan pie. Yeah. Now, Andrea, I see a perfect opportunity for the one single all-butter crust I have in my freezer And that is to use it here. So I think I will skip their recommended pie crust and go with my leftovers since it's also an all butter. We are going to also be doing a partial bake here, which uh, you heard us talk about last episode in episode 111. And this will be a great opportunity for me to watch that Chris Kimball video and really, really please get rid of my blind baking slump that's been, been hounding me for the last several pies. Yeah, you need to break your slump. I'm going to go ahead and follow the recipe. I will use their all-butter crust. I want to go on record that I am very nervous about the inclusion of two tablespoons of cider vinegar in the crust. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. I've definitely made pies that use vinegar in the crust, but I've never used more than a teaspoon. 
my cider vinegar is a really good cider vinegar, too. It's got quite a flavor in it. Okay. I'm a little bit anxious that that might sort of translate in the flavor, but we'll see. I'm going to follow the recipe. I know these ladies know what they're doing, and I'm guessing there is a reason for that much cider vinegar, so I'm going to try it. And then in your filling, you've got your rolled oats, heavy cream, four ounces of your bittersweet chocolate, some light brown sugar. An interesting ingredient here is some ginger, some ground ginger. I love ginger. I'm not sure I would have thought to put it with those other flavors, though. I think it's going to help cut through that sweetness because as you continue going down the ingredient list, you've got a little bit of salt, some butter, and then a cup of dark corn syrup. And you know how sweet that can be. So I think that ginger is just going to help out there a little bit. And dark corn syrup's actually a little bit trickier to find here, so I'm going to fall back on my beloved Lyle's Golden Syrup and try that. I did that in the shoe fly pie last year, and it worked well. Yeah, I am going to probably continue my pantry clean out. I have some dark corn syrup left over from the holidays, and I'd like to go ahead and use it. Quite honestly, I only ever use it in pecan pie. Yes, yes. So Mm -hmm. it will be interesting to see how it translates here. I have really switched and started using Lyle's more and more. And I am so enjoying the conversation in our Facebook group about one of our listeners search high and low for that Lyle's golden syrup. (laughs) (laughs) I think she said, and I think that was listener Julie. It was, Julie. She said she drove the length of Tennessee and bought like 40 bottles or $40 worth. So that's exactly (laughs) the kind of dedication we expect from our preheated listeners. (laughs) It really is. And I was talking to my mom on the phone last night. My mom is originally from Tennessee. So she was, of course, just fascinated that Julie went on this journey. And then she said, Andrea, did you see that she described it as if caramel and butterscotch had a baby? Doesn't that sound good? It is good. I said, I think she should be writing some copy for Lyle's Golden Syrup because I agree. When I saw that, I was like, oh, yeah, I need to stock up on my Lyle's. So delicious. So a little bit of vanilla and then some more of that cider vinegar, but only two teaspoons this time, and then four large eggs. So that's going to be your filling. And then you are doing that partial bake, so that means you're not cooking the crust all the way through, but you are going to need to use your pie weights. And do listen back to episode 111. We talk about our favorite techniques for doing that and and some some troubleshooting for that type of a crust. And uh, then putting in your filling. There's a lot of steps here, Andrea. You are you got a lot of resting time. You're cooling this. You're making the ganache. You're cooling that. So I think give yourself some time on this one. I agree. Yeah. Make sure you block out some time. I went ahead and printed out the recipe. I'm going to have it by my side because whenever I see something with this many steps, I know it's important not to use my tiny little phone screen where I can kind of get lost. So yeah, remember, we will have a link to these recipes in our show notes for this episode, which is episode 112. And it'll be on our website, preheatedpodcast.com. And we'll also toss a copy over in our Facebook group. So we hope you will bake along with us on this one. Andrea, we are rolling right along in our third week of Pie Month. And as a graduate of Pie Camp and a member of the Olympia Pie Guild, I know you have explored all things pie, and I'm ready to hear your most trusted tips, tools, and techniques for working with our favorite dessert. That's right. I do have a lot of pie classes and pie events in my background, uh, mainly because I was so intimidated by pie for so long. I just decided I was going to get over it. (laughs) I started taking classes and and participating in pie events. And Stefan, you have quite the pie chops yourself. So, you know, I definitely want to hear your tips, too. Where do you think you've learned the most about making pie? Well, I'm proud to say I'm pretty self-taught as far as pie is concerned. It was the first thing I started making as a kid in the kitchen when I was about nine years old. 
and I went completely by the recipes in my mom's late 60s edition of the Betty Crocker cookbook. Shout out, mm-hmm. orange cover. Uh, so that meant I was making a pastry with a shortening crust cut into the flour using two knives. Oh, yeah. And I've always loved making apple pies. And I once spent an entire summer when I was 12 perfecting my lime meringue pie. It was just written in the stars. I would have a podcast one day, wasn't it? Uh- <laughs> yeah, you knew. You knew one day you would need that recipe. I love it. But since then, I've continued to grow and learn. And just like many of our listeners, I feel like I'm always adding new pie types and techniques to my repertoire. How about you, Andrea? Yeah, as much as I love to read and take classes, I do think where I've actually learned the most is in the kitchen, either with my mom or on my own or, you know, with someone else who's an expert pie baker. I'm generally one of those type of people that I have to do something wrong before I figure out how to do it right. Yeah. And I've also learned a lot through our podcast. So one of the many things I love about pie bakers is their generosity. And I find that they're always willing to share their favorite recipes or to give you ideas for fixing your pie predicaments. And that's so true. And we learned that firsthand when we did Pies and Prosecco in July of 2018. We had people there with fantastic tips for us. Yeah. Well, let's pay it forward, or should I say pie it forward, and... (laughs) solve some common pie predicaments right now. Last week in episode 111, we covered crust. So this week, let's focus on our fillings and decorations. Stefan, tell us what is your number one challenge you run into with your pie fillings? Well, something that's irritating that you just heard me speak about in relation to the pear pie is a runny, watery pie. And this especially happens on a fruit pie. There's almost nothing worse than slicing into your beautiful-looking pie only to realize it didn't set up properly. Even though I've been baking pies for almost 40 years, I just encountered this, as you guys know. Yeah, and I I think that's one of the reasons I avoided pies for so long. With something like a cookie, you can try one first and make sure it's good before you share it with people. Yes. But you don't have that same flexibility with pie. But all hope is not lost. (sighs) Thank goodness. What's your trick? Well, as you know, fruit pies need a thickener, and in most recipes, that will be cornstarch or quick-cooking tapioca or flour. So personally, I'm not a huge fan of cornstarch. It does thicken the pie nicely, but for some reason, I'm convinced I can taste it. So the Anjou Bakery Marionberry Pie we made back in episode 16, and Joy the Baker's Strawberry Rhubarb Crumb Pie from episode 26 both use cornstarch. And so when I see that ingredient, I typically substitute either quick cooking tapioca or flour. And how do you decide which one you're going to use? I'll usually use a tablespoon of the quick cooking tapioca in berry pies, like blueberry, raspberry, or strawberry. Okay. I use that Kraft Minute brand. The one in the red box? That is it. Are you able to get this in London? I haven't yet, but it seems like a small and lightweight thing that someone could send in a care package. (laughs) Hint, hint. I can find regular tapioca, like the kind we used in our tapioca with mango lime last spring. Do you think that will work? I would hesitate to use that because, okay, okay. Um, yeah, I'm worried that those balls are too big and they're not going to dissolve down. So, Got it. 
Okay. But there is a trick even if you're using the quick cooking tapioca, and that is your pie has to get hot enough to dissolve the tapioca. Mm. So you want to make sure you're baking your pie at 400 or 425 degrees for at least 10 or 15 minutes in the beginning before you turn it down to 350 degrees. And for our UK listeners, that's approximately 205 to 218 Celsius at the beginning and then turning it down to about 175 Celsius. And since I use a fan-assisted oven, which are really popular here, I usually air on the lower temperature range or go a few degrees cooler. Mm-hmm. Okay, so tapioca for berries, when do you use flour? I like using flour when I'm using heartier fruits like peaches or apples or pears. And usually a quarter cup of flour will do, but it really does depend on your fruit and how juicy it is. Sometimes I include the leftovers that are in the bottom of my pie crust bowl if I want to add extra flour into the filling. Oh, double duty. I can see that would work since crust is basically flour and fat. But unlike you, Andrea, I don't really mind using cornstarch, and I think it's a little silkier than flour. Here in the UK, it's called corn flour, and I'll definitely be playing around with adding it to that pear pie. Okay, you've got your thickener of choice. What else do you do to make sure your pie's not runny? So even with your thickener in your filling, you still have to make sure you bake your pie long enough. Mm. Often the crust will brown before the filling is done, and that's why I so often use those pie shields made from aluminum foil that we talked about back in episode 90. How could I forget your mom's space-age trick? Yep. One of which I have folded up neatly in my baking cupboard right now. So you're protecting your crusts from overbrowning and leaving your pie in the oven until it's cooked through, but how do you know when it's done? Well, I often use a lattice crust so I can see the filling bubbling out. And you really want to look for bubbling all over, not just in one place on the pie. The other tip that I learned from Kate McDermott when I went to pie camp is to pull your pie out, bend down really close to the crust, and listen. And if it's done, you'll hear this noise like sizzle, sizzle, thump. Sizzle, sizzle, thump. Music to my ears. It really is. Although I have learned, make sure you tie your hair back before you do that. (laughs) (laughs) Also, another thing you want to keep in mind, if you're using frozen fruit, which I often do, you're going to have to add time. So usually anywhere from five to ten minutes additional over fresh fruit. Well, now that we've got the filling conquered, let's talk about making the pie pretty. It seems everywhere I turn these days, there's some new form of pie art cropping up. Yeah, it's true. I call this the rise of the Pinterest pie. And I think anyone could spend hours making beautifully, intricately decorated pies. But honestly, that's just not my style. Even if I had the time, I would never have the amount of patience that it requires. Yeah, I'm not sure I would either. I like the rustic look. What's wrong with a simple crimped edge? I know, that's how I feel. Although I am happy to try some different techniques to rise a little step above my regular pie. So one thing I've been doing recently is sprinkling the tops of my pies with the white sparkling sugar. Mm. I get mine from King Arthur, but you can get a brand by Wilton. They sell those at Target or any sort of regular grocery store. And I often use Demerara sugar. I did that on our pear pie. And that has the larger brown crystals. And I think that's really pretty too. Yeah. And both of those sugars are coarse grained. So unlike regular table sugar, they won't melt or disappear when you're baking. Mm. And you can see them sparkling on top. It's really pretty. And it adds this tiny touch of sweetness and crunch. I love that. You want to hear a great tool? Of course. Find yourself a pie pan with an edge at least a half an inch wide. 
You can use this to keep your decorative crust from slumping down or falling off the sides. I have one I received as a wedding present from loyal listener Anne-Marie's mother, Barbara, but La Crusette makes a great stoneware version too. Yeah, I love those. And and now someone in the Olympia, Washington area has a Le Creuset stoneware version from my pear pie dish. I hope they enjoy it. <laughs> oh no, they took your dish too? Oh yeah, they took the whole thing. <laughs> oh. oh man. Oh, oh. bummer, bummer. Oh. But more importantly, speaking of pie dishes, I want to talk about how I've learned how to adjust a pie filling for any pan size. You know how some recipes don't specify whether you need, you know, a shallow 8-inch pan or a deep dish 10-inch pan. Yeah, I mean, and especially those recipes from old-fashioned community cookbooks that you and I both love. Yes. I have a feeling people didn't have a plethora of pie pan options, so there was no need to specify the size. You just had to make do with whatever you had on hand, usually a 9-inch. Right. Well, I want to talk about how you can actually use whatever pan you're baking in to estimate your fillings. Okay. This works best with fruit or berry pies. I mean, you wouldn't want to do this with, like, say, a, a gooey pecan pie filling. You go ahead and mix your filling in your bowl, and then you dump it into the empty pie pan before you line it with crust. And so that gives you this quick visual of whether you have too much or just enough or if you have not enough filling. And so you can always add more fruit and sugar if you need more. If you have too much, I suggest you make mini pies with those crust scraps and the leftover filling. Well, any excuse for another pie sounds good to me. Yeah. And you know, speaking of pie pans also makes me think about pulling them in and out of the oven. I will never forget when you shared the story of the time you accidentally dropped a hot pecan pie while pulling it out of the oven and had a sticky, gooey mess to contend with on Thanksgiving morning. A moment seared in my brain and on my oven door forever. (laughs) I found random pecan pieces in weird places for years. (laughs) Yeah, so these days my standard practice is that I always place my pies on a rimmed baking sheet that's been lined with parchment. Yeah. And I usually start my pies on the bottom rack on top of my baking stone because I want to make sure that crust gets nice and browned. And then you know how you usually start at 425 for 10 to 15 minutes and then you move it down to 350 for a longer bake. That's when I move my pie to the middle rack. Yeah. And that way I'll know that I'll get that top crust or the crumble finished off. Sheet pans make pulling the pies out easy and fast. And that's also helpful so you're not losing a lot of heat while your oven door is open. And I also love using them because then I'm not grabbing the pie directly, so it usually saves the crimping I've done on the edges. Yeah, good point. Listeners, we hope you've enjoyed our pie tips, tools, and techniques. My final tip, and it's a tasty one, is that practice makes perfect. So the best way to get good at pie is to make a lot of pie. So get busy baking. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the icing onto this episode. Our episodes drop every Monday morning, so join us next week for the review of our Black Bottom Oatmeal Pie and introduction of a savory steak and ale pie from London that requires a new-to-your-hosts rough puff pastry. We'll also chat about alternative pies. From minis to slabs, there are more ways than round to make our favorite dessert. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at Preheated Pod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe. 
and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.